Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Eric Bold, Director of Public Affairs. Today we're going to go through Amendment 1, which is known by its proponents as Clean Missouri, so that we can give you some insight into the questions that we've been getting uh, from our members and uh, people in the general public on social media. We're going to walk through all the problems and concerns that we have with Amendment 1. So let's get started. Director of Public Affairs here at Missouri Farm Bureau, and this is B.J. Tanksley, our Director of State Legislative Programs. Today we're going to be going through the Amendment 1 to the Missouri Constitution that's on the ballot coming up here in a few days on Tuesday, November 6th. We've gotten a lot of questions about some of the details of what is actually in the proposal, and it's a very large proposal, so we wanted to take some time to go through those line by line so that you know what's in it and why what we do um, think is a good idea and what we oppose and why. So BJ, uh, why don't we just start off by going over a little bit about what is in Amendment 1 and uh, what some of those parts are that are different than what the redistricting proposal is uh, that we've really been most vocal about. Yeah, you know, it's a good point. It's that time of year where people are starting to actually say, okay, beyond the candidates, what are we getting ready to vote on? And let's dive into it a little bit. So Amendment 1 has several different provisions. Um, We've talked a lot about the redistricting and we'll dive into that again. Um, But there are other provisions to it. Um, It starts out by lowering campaign contribution limits for state legislative candidates. It eliminates almost all lobbyist gifts for the General Assembly. It prohibits fundraising on state property, requires politicians to wait two years before becoming lobbyists, and requires that all legislative records be open to the public. All of these sound like great things. Yeah, and actually all of these or most of all of them are things that Farm Bureau has supported uh, in, or in the legislature. Or some form of. Yeah, yeah, to some degree. These are all in our policy book as things that we generally are in favor of, these types of reforms. Yeah, and to some extent, we've, we've um, either there's already policy to that effect or we've uh, supported some form of this type of reform in the past. Um, it's just a measure of what are these changes and how far do they go with this measure. Yeah, and so on that note, we'll get into the specifics of each of these. So the first one, which has caught a lot of attention actually, is that it would lower campaign contribution limits for state legislative candidates. And that's, um, some people have, I think, overblown that and said, like, this is gonna get all the money out of politics and uh, make it so that that's not an issue anymore. Why is that not the case? Yeah, it's, it's really not true at all. Uh, when you look at the lowering campaign contribution limits, the current campaign contribution limit is $2,600 per election per candidate. Um, this would lower it to 2500 for Senate candidates, so a $100 change and 2000 for state House candidates. Um, so you're just not seeing much change there. Mm-hmm. And then what's hidden in there is there's also a cost of living adjustment for this. And so within just a few years, these campaign contributions would be right back where they are now. Um, it looks like this is a change to be able to say you're changing. Yeah. And I realize it's a talking point that gets a lot of people's attention. It's yeah. that, oh, you know, we get tired of seeing the ads and the mailers and all that, and we get that dirty money out of politics, it'll all get better. Unfortunately, this doesn't achieve that goal. Um, it's there to say that it's there. Yeah, that's it's a token um, just in there to say that you reduce the money. But like you say, that $100 reduction in Senate camp- campaign caps 
um, that's like that's a little less than a four percent change. Yeah. That's not getting the money out of politics. And uh, it's largely just you know not that meaningful. The majority of state senate contributions are way below that anyway. Yeah. Most people aren't maxing out to a state senate candidate or to a state house candidate at this point. Yeah. Some people are, but that's just not the general gift. Yeah. I mean, that's not changing the the typical process. And, and another thing you kind of touched on too that I think a lot of people have. Um, tried to make it this out to be that it has nothing to do with is getting rid of dark money and that's those 501c4 organizations that have gotten a lot of attention in the past couple of years where they can spend unlimited amounts of money and on political activities uh, as long as they stay within some boundaries but don't have to disclose their donors and how does this address that? Yeah, that's an interesting point because when I read through this, I don't see it addressed. Yeah, it claims to be cleaning up dark money. I don't see where dark money is removed from the process in any way. Um, additionally, we all know the, the campaign in favor of this has taken a lot of dark money. Right. We don't know where a lot of it's come from because it's come from anonymous sources and third-party donors and that kind of thing. So we don't know, but I don't see that. The claim has been made, but I don't see where it changes anything regarding dark money. Yeah. Um, so another issue on there is that it would eliminate almost all of the lobbyist gifts at, to General Assembly members. Now, this is a change that it would say that it eliminates gifts over, I believe, $5 um, to individuals inside of the General Assembly, but it doesn't eliminate um, gifts to the entire General Assembly. Mm -hmm. um, so you can invite the entire House or the entire Senate or all to a banquet or to a dinner or to an event. Um, and sometimes that's actually been taken advantage of, knowing that only a couple are going to come. You invite yeah. everybody, and it becomes a group expenditure. Um, so, But there are some changes here. It yeah. would eliminate some gifts. So let's give credit where it's due. Um, but it does not get rid of all gifts to the General Assembly. But it yeah. does make some changes here. Yeah, and I think this is one of, the, one of the pieces in here that's probably one of the better steps. But it isn't a cure-all either. Yeah, so. and Farm Bureau is by no means against that part. Yeah. Um, you also mentioned that one of the issues that, frankly, I didn't even know was uh, still legal, was um, not allowing fundraising activities to happen on state property. Yeah, and, and that's, a, that's a solution looking for a problem. There's not a lot of fundraising going on on state property. I don't know that there's any, to be honest with you. Um, but just another one of those things that looks like it's making a claim, and it also helps push down what we believe to be the real agenda further down of what people will read in the yeah. ballot. Mm -hmm. Um, then another one that really does have some impact, but not uh, not as drastic as I think has been portrayed, is that it would uh, slow down the revolving door between people in the legislature and then moving out to be a lobbyist, uh, extend the, the cooling off period that they have. Yeah, so the current cooling off period is one year from, from serving in the legislature. This would extend that to two years. The troubling thing to me that it also adds is, is legislative staff. And yeah. I know a lot of people may not care about that, but there's a lot of young people getting out of college, going to work, they're getting great experience there. And then to tell them what they can and can't do following that employment becomes pretty tough for me to settle on. But just the basics of we're going to tell somebody what they can and can't do, but not only for one year, but for two that seems like a stretch. We already have a one-year cooling-off period. I'm not against the two-year cooling-off period. I just don't think it changes things as far as who's coming from the legislature and then going to work yeah. as a lobbyist. If you're going to wait one year, you could probably wait two. Uh, you go to work in management and then get into you know government yeah, relations. You can be a consultant, and then you're not technically lobbying. Yeah. And that's where, really, I've seen uh, that as an issue, and kind of on the federal level as well as what that really does is just hurts the staff because they're not going to get a specialty like that. Oh, no. But they're not the going to get that are. position to hold your position right. for a couple of years. 
Um, and so that's where it's a major issue. Um, it doesn't change that much. It looks good. It sounds good. We don't disagree with the revolving door and cleaning up politics. I don't know that this changes who does come from the legislature to work in the legislature. Sure. And then the uh, the last other issue, aside from the redistricting, is that it would require that legislative records be made open to the public, uh, that they would be come under the Sunshine Law in the same way that other administrative uh, executive branch records are as well. Yeah, my my understanding, and I, I'm by no means an expert on this one provision, but my understanding is, a, well, largely legislative records are open to the public. I do know that. The one thing I will say is, from what I understand, most of the records that aren't open to the public are because they're for their personal information. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, a citizen from from this person's district's personal information that's basically been excluded from the record, or its constituent work been done by legislators. That's the kind of records that have been shut off to the public, um, because it's your personal information. It may be your health information or your financial information. Um, I have talked to some people that work in the Capitol that say this could be a real issue for them of what records they can keep and what records they can't keep. Some of their files of issues they've worked on have always been considered their files. Yeah. And to say that somebody could come in and, and really pilfer through for any political agenda, I mean, let's not, let's not sugarcoat this. Sometimes those sunshine requests are done for a political agenda, right. um, and sometimes we want to make sure that private information should be kept private. Now, we're not saying hide you know, the works of government, yeah. but I don't think that's a major problem in our capital either. Well, um, and, and one of my other concerns on this is that uh, if you are do, putting this requirement on state legislators, they don't, they basically, most of them kind of do their own work. They have yeah. one assistant. Some of them, they share an assistant across several people. And to bog them down with having to respond to records requests all the time seems like a real waste of their time. And, and you really could paper someone over, you know, bury them in paperwork by uh, putting these requests on them for, a like you say, a political agenda. And I don't see that that's a really benefiting much, but it could cause a lot of harm. Yeah, and I've also heard that for those working in the Capitol, they would they would be asking for the assistance of someone with a law degree to decide what records could be kept and what shouldn't be kept, mm-hmm. that almost every record would have to go through that sort of a process. At this time, our legislative staff don't have that type of background, or at least the majority of them don't, and this yeah. would be an extra burden on them or an extra hiring process for the Capitol. Yeah, and I don't know how they could afford them. to pay people exactly. like that with those credentials, exactly. uh, with the budget that they have. So uh, that kind of covers the main issues in Amendment 1 that are not part of the redistricting proposal. So just as a whole, I guess, why is it? Why are we kind of taking the position that those aren't really uh, the strongest because issues? And, you know, and I think that's a great point. There's a lot of things in there that we don't disagree with the idea behind. Um, the, the selling point is that this is going to clean up politics. I think the changes are, are mostly window dressing at this point. Uh, you know, $100 on campaign contributions to state senators, uh, one extra year of sitting out. These are just minor changes made to mostly already existing policy. The other thing I would point out is these policies have gotten... 90% of the way through passage through the legislature, they have strong bipartisan support. If the people that support these would all have gotten behind those efforts in the Capitol, we probably would have seen these get yeah, passed. That's true. Um, the truth is this could work its way through the 
political process in the state of Missouri rather than having to change the Constitution. Mm-hmm. The problem that I have with changing the Constitution is then it's so hard to change again. Yeah. You know, by, by enshrining this in the Constitution, it becomes very difficult to ever change. Yeah, once you see the unintended consequences, exactly. it's about impossible to go back and fix it. And ultimately, I don't think these changes achieve the goal of cleaning up government. Yeah. I, I think that we still see dark money issues. We still see people going from working in the legislature to coming in and, and lobbying. I don't, I don't think those are the major issues in the Capitol. Mm-hmm. There may be some issues that need to be addressed in the Capitol. I don't think these do it. Yeah. Well, then we get to the meat of it, which is the redistricting proposal. And um, I think, as you were kind of alluding to, if this were just put on the ballot on its own, I think it would have real trouble passing because of the problems that are with it. And that is why they tagged all these token other things onto it, is to try and make it look like a real, true, overall comprehensive reform of government. Yeah, because if you were signing a petition, if you're walking out of Walmart and somebody says, do you want to clean up government? Sign this. Yeah. It was pretty easy to gather a signature, yeah, I would imagine. Absolutely. Um, but on the redistricting itself, uh, how does that plan work And uh, if this were to pass? And who would get to decide how those districts are drawn? Yeah, so a new state demographer is charged with drawing competitive districts around the state of Missouri. That demographer is chosen by the state auditor. Um, the auditor chooses candidates, and then the majority and minority leaders in the Senate can narrow that list. So su- supposedly, you know, let's it has to be kind of in thirds. Mm-hmm. So they could remove one third and the other third, and then there would be a couple candidates left. It would go up to it could possibly go to a lottery of the mm-hmm. remaining candidates. Um, but ultimately, the the only candidates at all would be people that the auditor put on the list. In oh, the first absolutely. Place. Yeah. The whole list never expands. Yeah. Um, if I was a partisan leading one way or the other, I could put four or five extreme partisans and both minority parties could just say, well, we don't like one and two, but we really don't like the ones in the middle either. Yeah. And then it goes to a lottery like, of the people they bad. don't like yeah. anyway. So yes, ultimately the auditor's position will decide who the state demographer would be if this were to pass. And that demographer is charged with drawing competitive districts across the state of Missouri. And competitiveness is measured by what they call wasted votes. Now, Mm -hmm. I was always taught that no vote was wasted. um, But that no wasted votes are any vote for the losing candidate or votes above 50% that's necessary to win. Mm -hmm. And so they would have to go around the state, assume that they know how everybody's going to vote based on how they voted previously, um, and then try to draw competitive districts. And that's where we really see an issue. Um, populations of the state of Missouri, um, you, we just see, if you look at the map of red and blue, the truth is that the urban centers have more blue at this point. They yeah. haven't always. That's right. the one thing I like to stress in this is voting patterns change over yeah. time. This assumes everybody's going to vote the same way they did two years ago, the same way they did eight years ago. I personally don't. I know a lot of people who don't. Um, and so I think that it's interesting that they want to try to think that they can enshrine how we're going to vote. But the truth is, if you look at red and blue, the urban centers, St. Louis, Kansas City, Springfield, Columbia, where largely populated areas are in closer proximity, those tend to have more Democrat-leaning voters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're going to have to try to draw districts, or this, this demographer is, that dip in and receive enough of those urban center voters and enough rural voters who have recently been leaning uh, Republican in order to find a competitive district. Yeah. And competitiveness, the, that's really the most interesting thing about this proposal because it's unique nationally. This would be the first time it's really been tried to force your districts to be based on partisan voting patterns. This would be not about trying to make it things 
fair, but trying to make things partisan balanced. Yeah. And it's only between two parties, yeah. the Republican Completely Party and the Democrat party. party. So if you're a supporter of a third party or if you're an independent, you, you don't really uh, get considered in this. It's about Democrats and Republicans and only those two parties trying to be balanced across the state. Yeah, our current bipartisan commission that comes together that draws districts is charged with drawing them compact and contiguous, mm -hmm. meaning they're supposed to keep communities of interest together. They are supposed to keep counties together. They can't cut through cities or counties unless they absolutely have to. Um, so you see a map that largely makes sense. Uh, you know, Northeast yeah. Missouri is represented by Northeast Missouri. Same thing with the different regions of the state. The urban centers get divided because they have more people. There's only, you know, a hundred and something thousand in a Senate district. Um, but where they don't have to cross a, a population line, they don't. Well, and I wanted to ask about that. That's actually one of the questions or comments we've been getting a lot on social media is um, people are saying, well, the current map is really badly gerrymandered, so yeah. wouldn't this proposal get rid of gerrymandering? Because yeah. that's uh, how it's been pitched, I think, by the proponents of it. Oh, yeah, gerrymandering's rampant in the state. Um, the truth is, when you draw lines, you always have to put them somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, but I took a look at the Missouri Senate map, the current map, and that doesn't, not to say that this map's perfect. Yeah, Everybody has not, problems yeah. when you draw maps. Uh, but the current map divides five counties. The current Senate map divides five counties. And so statewide, there, are, there are only five counties that have lines that cut them up. Yep, that's right. And so you see, and they're exactly where you think they would be. Mm -hmm. Green County, the city of Springfield is one. Outside is another. Uh, Jackson, um, Clay, St. Louis, um, St. Charles. St. Louis isn't a county. Jefferson. So, mm -hmm. um, so that's where you see the dividing lines now, and so it just makes sense. You know, counties are kept together. Now, you may not like that you're divided from the county. You, you may think you're more similar to Scott County than Perry County or whatever, uh -huh. um, but lines always have to be drawn. Um, but currently, we keep those counties together as much as possible, or the, the commission does mm -hmm. as much as possible. State house seats are tougher because they're smaller districts, uh, but typically, gerrymandering is minimal. Not everybody agrees with where the map is. But the process allows for, if they don't like the map, they can test it in court, and the courts decide whether or not these were fairly drawn. Mm -hmm. Not fair as far as any party can win, but fair as far as this district makes sense, it's compact and contiguous. Mm -hmm. Well, and that also just plays into the next question that we've been getting a lot, which is how, excuse me, Farm Bureau has been really saying that this amendment would silence rural voices, and people are saying, well, how would it? Why would it? They would still get to vote, and... Why would this, the redistricting proposed, that's proposed in Clean Missouri actually hurt any rural areas? Yeah, I think this is a good time to show, and hopefully um, we'll be able to show on the, on the Facebook Live or the Facebook video the actual map uh, in closer. But um, Eric and I are looking at a, a map that was drawn, and this isn't what would be the map, but it's an example drawn for competitiveness yeah. where they tried to draw as many 50-50 districts as they could. And, and so one of the group that is opposing Clean Missouri hired a demographer to draw up a map based on, they gave him the guidelines that are in Clean Missouri and said, can you come up with a map that would fit these guidelines to the best of your ability? And, and my understanding is they charge them to be fair, but to draw with these understandings. Yeah. And, and not to try to be too extreme, but yeah. to try to be fair. And when you look at this map, and I do think that some of them are probably more extreme than others, but we can see several districts where you're dipping down into St. Louis City and then running all the way to half of Randolph County. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're going from uh, the district that's labeled as 21 is going all the way down into Ferguson, I believe we said, or 20 is uh, going yeah, into 20. Ferguson, mm -hmm. and then including northern 
Columbia. Yeah. I mean, that is a huge district, and that's where we get into what we see as a real issue. It's an issue for rural Missourians because we're more spread out. If I was campaigning in District 20, I would have to spend more time where there's more voters concentrated. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to spend a lot of time in Warren and Callaway County because mm-hmm. there's not as many voices there. I'm going to have to spend in Boone County and Callaway. And I just think that leads to rural Missouri having fewer voices in the capital um, just because people are going to gravitate to where the population is most densely populated. Yeah. You know, when we talk about rural representation in the capital, there's already a, we're already somewhat of a minority of, you know, agriculturalists or people mm-hmm. from rural portions of Missouri. Um, and I think that just dilutes us anymore. We talk a lot about agriculture, and there's only 2% of the, of the population that's involved in agriculture. Um, and we just want to make sure that rural voices continue to be heard. I think as we try to divide these districts or draw them along competitiveness lines, if every district has to involve a rural or an urban center, um, we're going to see a large divide in that. And I think we've seen that echoed from our urban counterparts that say yeah. we want urban voices in the legislature. And they say, okay, if you have a district that goes all the way from inner city Kansas City, you said Kemper Arena, yeah. all the way to Lynn County, they don't like that district either because right. they want someone, they want to ensure that they have their voices heard too. And they don't feel comfortable knowing that someone from Davies and Lynn and Caldwell County are going to have their best interest in mind. And yeah. I totally understand that. Um, and I think it also would be next to impossible to represent these districts. If you're representing 20 school districts and four counties, it's hard to know which voice you're supposed to be speaking from. Uh, It's gonna be very difficult for anybody to represent. Yeah, like you mentioned, the the example district number 20, which is the blue district, um, kind of in east central Missouri, it goes all the way down into like Ferguson, Jennings area, um, almost all the way to the Mississippi River, and then comes out through uh, all the way through Warren County, Callaway County, Audrain County, and Boone County to try to get that balance between Democratic voters and Republican voters. And yeah, just imagine if you were the senator from there and a bill on education came up, would you be voting based on what the people in Ferguson and Jennings wanted or what the people in Audrain County wanted or Boone County or what? I mean, how in the world would you know I think it would be next to impossible to choose. And I'm not trying to be rude to those legislators, but what do you do? I think that yeah. would be very, very difficult um, for anybody. The other thing that you mentioned one of the last times we talked about this was about people knowing their legislature and the importance of that. Mm-hmm. I don't think that can be undersold here. A lot of our folks, whether they be urban or rural, they know who their representative are. They know who their senator are. He may not, he or she may not be from their city or their county, but they're familiar with them because they know they speak for their county. I know for firsthand, um, I've spoken with Farm Bureau members from a county that's divided three ways. And, you know, from the outside looking in, you think, oh, that's great. Your county has three representatives and they feel like their county has no representative because there's not one representative who owns that county, who speaks up for them on a continual basis. And not to speak negatively towards any representative or senator, um, but that personal touch really is important to people. It helps with your relationship in the Capitol. um, And we want to make sure that we're continuing to protect that. You know, Missouri has issues in the Capitol. Not everything's perfect. We have seen some dirty things happen in the past. You know, our track record isn't perfect, but it's not the dirtiest state Mm -hmm. by any means. Um, but I don't think that this and this redistricting, I don't think this is proposed to try to clean things up. I don't think this is to try to clean things up. I think this is to try to change the 
um, status of the legislature. Yeah. I think it's to try to win more seats in the legislature when you yeah. couldn't win them at the ballot box. Yeah. Um, that's what it really comes down to, what that's it looks exactly like right. is, you know, it, it, yeah, this would not be your proposal if your, your, your ultimate goal was getting a cleaner uh, process. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, you did mention that there is an issue where people um, who are in areas that their district, or that their town is split up into multiple areas or multiple districts, contact their congressman less, contact their, contact their representative less, um, because they don't know who they are. And so they write to them less. They just are less civically engaged. And that's one of the problems with, gener- with gerrymandering in general. And gerrymandering for partis- political partisanship um, is even is the worst kind of gerrymandering. That's exactly um, right. So that's you know, the, exactly what we want to get rid that's of. What, that that's what's been done in the past. This constitutes it. It says you have to gerrymander for partisan right. races. Yeah. yeah. So that kind of goes to our last question that we've kind of gotten some uh, questions about on social media. Um, that is, what are some of the constitutional issues with Amendment 1? Um, we've mentioned that a little bit, that the the two parties are just enshrined in in the Constitution that now the maps are drawn for their two benefits, um, and you forget about all the third parties. That's something that Senator Jim Talent, who is the main spokesman opposed to Amendment 1, brought up on our podcast when he spoke with our President Blake Hurst, is he feels like that's just blatantly unconstitutional because the Republican Party and the Democrat Party are not governmental entities. Those are private private groups. And they may feel like it, but but there's nothing that says that in, you know, 5, 10, 20 years from now that that's not the process we lean towards. That that, that there's not just two parties. Mm-hmm. There's always the possibility of a third party or an independence and and this would alienate those and make it even more difficult. It would I constitutionally think, draw them out of the process. And I think, you know, if you're coming into what's drawn as a 50-50 district and trying to pull 2% of that, I mean, that becomes very difficult. Yeah. I mean, next to impossible. Yeah. Um, and and then you also mentioned some of the Issues that some of the people are concerned about in the urban communities, the, the Voting Rights Act uh, communities, where they are uh, required by the Voting Rights Act to have a majority-minority district. I think there's a lot of leaders in those areas that are concerned about how this could impact that. Now, the proposal does explicitly say that um, you do still have to protect those districts uh, under the Voting Rights Act, but what a lot of people are concerned about is it would dilute the percentages in some of those areas. And, you know, if there's a say, a Democratic district that's um, heavily African-American or heavily minority, and um, and typically a Democrat draws 70% of the vote, well, now this might draw it down to where they only draw 55% of the vote, and they could lose a lot of seats in that way, too. It has to. Yeah. It has to. I mean, and that's where it really gets into, okay, well, what provisions of this override other provisions of this? Um, and that's where I think it becomes next to impossible to really enforce yeah. and to draw districts this way. Another thing I think is important to point out is there's several states that are trying to go to a bipartisan commission to draw districts the way we currently use. Um, You know, Missouri is actually seen as a leader in how we draw our districts. Um, And so because we bring a bipartisan commission of people who can't have been involved in the legislature for several years, and they come together to draw the districts, and then they present them to the legislature for their adoption. Um, Sure, there's some politics to it. There is always going to be politics when you're drawing legislative districts. That's just the facts. But this makes politics above anything the most important thing. Yeah, politics is the whole point of this. That's uh, exactly what this is trying to do, is involve politics as the only thing that matters. 
which is exactly the wrong direction to be going. Yeah. So I appreciate you uh, taking some time to run through these. Anything else we need to add before we go? Yeah, I think we probably ran a little long. The one thing I want to close in saying is I think that this purports to be a clean Missouri. Um, some of the things that it claims to do to clean up Missouri aren't worth what it does to our redistricting process. The pain that this will cause to rural voters, to urban voters, is far far outweighs the, any good that come from could yeah. come from the cleanup things they say they're going to do. Um, and furthermore, the issues that they would like to see get done could be done through the legislature, not mm -hmm. the redistricting portion, but these, these portions could get done through the legislature. We've seen movement on them in recent years. Um, and I truly believe if the proponents of this would all come together and push for these changes, we would see them pass yeah. through the legislature. Well, so get out there on Tuesday and vote. Let's vote this thing down and come back with some actual real proposals next time around and do it the right way. Yeah, vote no on one. No on one. Uh, we have some other issues that we're going to be talking to you about. You can also uh, get some information on Q&As about Proposition D. BJ and I did a video about that as well. Um, check those out so that you can see what you're going to be voting on on Tuesday. But most importantly, get out there and vote. Rural voices are going to make the difference in this year's election. So don't miss your chance to make your voice heard. Thanks for joining us. Also, be sure to check out our Q&A that we did on Proposition D, and do not forget to get out there and vote on Tuesday. Thanks for joining us. Mm -hmm.